This podcast is sponsored by ebookit.com, self-publishing solutions for the independent author and small press. Visit us today at ebookit.com. Welcome to the Toastmasters podcast, the official podcast of Toastmasters International. Hello, everybody. This is Greg Gazin. And I'm Ryan Levesque. Ryan, when I hear of someone being referred to as the Oracle, a fount of Toastmasters knowledge and history with an encyclopedic command of information, I want to know, who is that man? And I know we have him here with us today. Ryan, who do we have the honor of speaking with? Today's guest is a past international president of Toastmasters International. He served from 2003 to 2004. He is distinguished Toastmaster Ted Corcoran. A Toastmaster since 1985, Ted hails from the land of saints and scholars, the Emerald Isle, that's right, Ireland. A tribute to Ted appeared in the September 2022 issue of The Toastmaster entitled The Irish Oracle, Ted Corcoran's Wisdom and Generosity Uplift Members Around the World. The article covers many of Ted's contributions over the years, including supporting, encouraging, and mentoring individual members around the world, helping to create what eventually became the Distinguished Club Program, originating the Toastmasters International Convention's annual sing-along, authoring two books, and much, much more. Wow. Ted appeared on episode three of the Toastmasters podcast. We had the pleasure of interviewing him in person at the 2009 International Convention in Mashantucket, Connecticut. Ted Corcoran, welcome back to the Toastmasters podcast. Welcome. Hello, Greg. Hello, Ryan. It's fantastic to speak with you again, Ted. To start us off, I want to ask you about something. Greg referenced it a moment ago. A fellow member of the Fingal Toastmasters Club named Ann Gibson calls you the Oracle. What's the backstory there, Ted? Well, Ann and I have been members of Fingal for several, several years, and her husband and Ann and myself are great friends, and we meet up socially, the three of us. I didn't know she was going to call me that, but there was an article in Delphi way back in olden times that people went to to get guidance about future happenings. Whereas, uh, according to this article, I can remember the past, which is a different sort of an article. I'm totally curious about that because, I mean, I can vaguely recall what I had for dinner. Do you have a particular secret in retaining all that knowledge that you seem to sponge in? <laughs> Well, if you take, for example, the 50 states of the United States or the provinces of Canada, I can save them as a picture on a map and I can go down from left to right. So Washington State is a length here, Oregon is Salem, California, Sacramento. Then I go up to Idaho, Boise, Nevada's Carson City. So I go across the country from left to right. I can see these outlines in my mind's eye of the states. It's the same with the districts. I can tell you where every district is because I can see them on the map, as it were. <laughs> it's incredible. Ted, it's always fascinating to hear how people found their way into Toastmasters. 1985 was that fateful year when you found your way into a Toastmasters meeting, and I understand walked out <laughs> shortly thereafter as president of the club. Can you tell us that story? Yes, it started in January when I was the chairman of the local tenants association. We had a Christmas dinner in a nearby hotel. We had 200 people. And uh, I stood up to open the proceedings. And as was the custom back then, 
I said, please join with me and we'll say grace before meals. And I said, in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, amen. And all I could think of was, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. <laughs> <laughs> and I hadn't even started sinning at this stage. This is only at the start, okay? <laughs> but as hard as I tried, I could not remember the first line of grace, even though I knew it perfectly well, but I couldn't think of it. So five seconds went by, 10 seconds, 15, 20. People started shuffling around, looking around. What was he waiting for? Nobody considered the fact that I was waiting for myself <laughs> to remember the first line. I turned to Dr. Michael Woods, who was the Minister for Justice of this country at the time, and I said, Michael, 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 how does grace begin? He says, bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts. And away I went. I was off in a canter. <laughs> and that was January, and I, that took me a while to get over that fright in front of 200 people, I can tell you. So I was the station manager at Houston Station, which is the biggest station in Ireland in the 80s. And I would often stop for a chat at the security man's hut on the way home. And I did talk to Paddy Dunhu. He said, would you like an evening paper? And I said, I would. I brought it home and I opened up and there was a letter in the middle of the paper announcing the fact that it was a new Stoastmasters Club starting in the Hollybrook Hotel, Clantarp, on the following Monday at 8 o'clock. So I said, I must go along and check this out because I need some, some counselling after I happened in January. Uh, but I said, I'm not going to get involved. I'm not going to get involved. I definitely am not going to get involved. So we had a demo meeting, and Pierce, who had done all the work, he had booked the hotel and put the letter in the paper, invited the Toastmasters in to do the demo meeting. He went to the bathroom for two minutes. And while he was away, this man came over to me, who was obviously one of the Toastmasters who had helped and he said, we're forming a committee. Would you do president? And I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I came home with the president of the Fingal Toastmasters Club in late September, 85. And I never looked back. Wow. I have a little trilogy that I tell people who ask for advice about getting on in the world. And I said three things. First of all, always say yes to opportunity. Number two. Never be afraid to ask for advice. And number three, I said, and most importantly, always believe you're as good as the next person. And it stood by me because how did I finish up from not being able to say grace before the dinner to being international president? Right. I always took the next step. And I, I didn't search them out. People came and said, will you do the area governor? Will you do this? I said, okay. And figured out how to do it afterwards. So if I do the math correctly, that's 37 years. So it seems to me that you've probably just about done it all, but yet you're still very active. What keeps you going? Well, today I've had an hour's call with some people in China. And when I'm finished with you, I have another podcast with a club in Dublin. It's funny, I look at next week and I have a blank week, but by the time the weekend comes, it's full. <laughs> right. So what keeps me going? Well, I'm very interested in Toastmasters International and what it has given me and what I know it can give other people. And I just encourage them and help them. I can see how people can improve and do well in their careers. And I grew up in County Kerry, Ireland. We were four or five miles out from the town, but no electricity, no running water, no mechanical equipment really of any sort. 
I remember my father plowing with two horses, plowing the land for crops. But what, what we had was a system of helping each other. In, in a small farm, you couldn't do the crops on your own, like cutting the corn or making the hay. You had to get help in. So the help arrived, the job was done, and then two days' time, we went to the next person and got the job done. So people kept helping all the time to get the work done because the the window of opportunity is quite narrow in an Irish summer. You either get it done in August or July and you don't get it done at all kind of thing. So this spirit of always be ready to help the next person was very much in my blood. And I find the same in Toastmasters. People help me, I have them. They help somebody else and we all help each other. I was just thinking of what a great analogy that is to what Toastmasters is all about. If someone asks that question, what is Toastmasters? What does it do for us? How can we give back? You just summed it up just perfectly. Mm. Thank you so much. One of the ways that you've contributed, I'm sure this took many hands to implement, is in the creation of what is today known as the Distinguished Club Program. Can you share with us how that came together? How you were able to help bring it to fruition. I could recite this story in my sleep. So I went to Las Vegas in 1992 as the current equivalent of the club road director, the number three person in the district. It was my first visit to America. I found out how awful our district was at performing, <laughs> and I didn't know. I often say since that without awareness, nothing changes. One has to create awareness first before people will actually react. So the Australian district 69, 70, 73 were all very successful. District 72 in New Zealand. District 74 in Southern Africa was number six in the world. And we were at the bottom of the pile, absolutely <laughs> invisible. Mm. But they had a whole lot of committees to get the work done at the club level. They had extension chairs and retention chairs. I remember making a joke about it, that they had so many chairs, they could have opened a furniture factory. <laughs> <laughs> now, so have you been to Bally's Hotel in Las Vegas? Have you been to Vegas? Yes. 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 I was standing at the traffic lights waiting for the pedestrian right to give me permission to cross because there was no bridge back then. You had right. to cross the street. And out of nowhere, into my head came this idea. But, but, but if I could get the clubs to want to do it, and we helped them to get it done, everything they got done would come onto our bottom line immediately. So mm. over I went, I collected Brian O'Connor, who was the district governor at the time, a friend of mine, who was my campaign manager subsequently in my elections, and Norman Fox from Maidenhead in England, and I said, I have this idea. Come back to my room and we'll chat about it. And in an hour, we had come up with a thing called the Club Excellence Program. It had a small goal, a medium goal, and a big goal. We introduced the business meeting at the Fall Conference in London in November 1992. And less than eight months later, the district was number six in the world. And the following year, it was 25. And the next year it was second, the next year it was 13th, the next year it was sixth, the next year it was seventh. Out of nowhere, we had got to the top of the world rankings. All because I had thought of a system and we had together made it up. The clubs bought into it. And as we had them to be successful, the district became successful. 
And it was as simple as that. And all of a sudden, people were asking me, could I get this system? Of course, I shared it all over the place. I get elected in 1986 as an international director representing the rest of the world from outside North America. And I wrote to Len Jury, who was the international president from District 72 in New Zealand. And I gave him the report and the data that I had collected. And it was put on the agenda for the February 1998 board meeting. And out of that came the Distinguished Club Program that we have today. They set it out differently in the sense there are still the 10 goals. You pick five or seven or nine. Uh, same idea, small goal, a bigger goal, and a bigger goal. And that's how it happened. And I was so delighted because I knew it worked. I had proven it worked. And uh, still working. That's so cool to know that it came from the grassroots level. Yeah, by standing on the, standing on the side of the street <laughs> in Las Vegas, you wouldn't be thinking of excellence programs, would you? <laughs> right. That's amazing. So besides being an oracle and besides having a sponge for a memory, you're also an agent of change. On that note, fast forward 24 years later, the entire world is just going through tremendous changes organizations going through changes. We now have online and virtual clubs, but yet we're also seeing that with the change, some of the clubs are struggling. And of course, we also know that there's no secret that there have been some IT issues. We recently got an email from CEO Daniel Rex. He explained what was going on. So there's a lot of challenges going on. So maybe I'm asking as an agent of change, what advice would you have for members and what advice would you have for clubs? to help them get through this and help them keep the faith? Well, clubs that have the desire usually find a way to be successful. My club, Fingal, became President Distinguished Club the very first year of the introduction of the Distinguished Club program in 1999. And it has been President Distinguished every year since, without any problem, because the culture of the club is success. And I know that in my wearing my safety helmet when I was head of safety for Irish Rail, I had a little saying that, what is culture? The way we do things around here. And the way we do things around here in the Fingal Club, and indeed in Swords Club that has been present distinguished for perhaps 15 years, is that's what we do. And it doesn't matter whether there's COVID or a pandemic or what, that's what the team does. Because that's the way we've always done it, and that's the way we will always do it. So the first question is, is there a desire to be successful? Is there? I look at clubs in other districts. Let's say they have seven goals in the distinguished club plan, and they have only 19 members. Do they really know that they've shot one member to be successful? Does it really matter? Do they care? Is it how they don't know what to do? Is it that they know and they can't be bothered? Is it that they know, have tried? vainly and failed. I have started always from does the club want it enough? Mm. And that brings me then to this recognition thing that I have just been speaking to another district about in the last hour. How do districts recognize the clubs that achieve success? And in my view is very badly or not at all. Mm. I have seen area directors coming to clubs talking about everything and anything except the success of the Distinguished Club Plan. 
In fact, I can tell you that any directors have come to my club in Fingal and have never mentioned once the words President Distinguished Club Award. So there's a huge disconnect between the management of the district and the success of the clubs. So you're suggesting that the members of each club, the number one, they need to really look deep inside. And secondly, they need to work the plan. If they know where they're at, they can help determine a path to which way they're going. Yes, but there's a big role for the district. I have a little little story that I came up with about bees. Have you got bees in Canada or is it too cold? <laughs> oh, we got lots of them. <laughs> you got, all right. So bees live in a beehive. Their daily job is to collect pollen to make honey with. If they have a queen bee and they have drones, they just lie around looking for trouble and they have the workers and they work extremely hard from morning to night gathering for the beehive. And then along in the late fall comes the beekeeper and it's all gone. Poor bees are bereft. Think of a Toastmasters club like a beehive. You have a queen bee or a king bee. You always have a few drones who line around just waiting for trouble. And then you have, you have the workers. And they work feverishly hard all the time from the 1st of July until, until the 30th of June. And then at midnight on the 30th of June every year, the arch beekeeper himself, Toastmasters International, swoops in. And everything they've done for the year is taken away from mm. them. And they have to start again on the 1st of July with nothing. And nobody comes and says, what a great year you've had, you're wonderful. No, just total silence. Now, I was at a function only six weeks ago, and I was sitting beside a guy waiting for the thing to start, and he turned out to be a beekeeper. And then I told him this story. And he said, no, you're, you're, not, you're not right. You're, we do not leave the bees uh, without something for the winter. We put a thing called fondant, F-O-N-D-A-N-T. It's a sugary kind of substance. We put it in the beehive and the bees tribe on this over the winter months when they don't leave the hive. And by the time the spring comes and the sun comes out and the snow is gone, they're bursting with strength and they're, they're virile and they go off. But nobody comes to the poor old Toastmasters Club and says, you've done a great job. Fantastic. We're so proud of you. Let's do it again. Recognition is the name of this. This is the equivalent of the fondant that the bees get. It's all about recognition and doing it at the club level. Just chatting with you, there's the opportunity to soak up your wisdom, your experience. And I know one of the places that you've channeled that is into the books that you've written. You've written two books, The Leadership Bus, and then in 2019, a book with a curious title, Hiring a Car and Walking After It. <laughs> I'd love to hear about that new book and Perhaps you could even enlighten us on the significance of the title. The, the title is very special to me. My grandmother had a saying to illustrate a completely useless exercise. And it's like hiring a car, she said, and walking after it. And the poor woman probably hired a car if she did 10 times in her whole life. Mm. Uh, it was a very, very easy image that if you hired it, you certainly didn't walk after it, you used it. So she would illustrate a useless exercise, she said, 
That's like hiring a car and walking after it. Mm. And that's why I call the book that. And it has 50 stories about Toastmasters and life in general and things that happened to me and funny things that happened to me and inspiring things that happened to me. And my, my earlier book, The Leadership Bus, that came about by accident as well. I was the president-elect and I was in Vegas doing some trading for the eight incoming district governors or Region 3. So there was just eight people and myself and I was chatting away to them. I said, you know, when you go to bed on the 30th of June, which will be a couple of weeks after this day I was at, and I say, you, you're still Greg or Ryan. And you wake up in the morning and you still think you're Greg or Ryan. But to everybody else in your district, you're Greg, the district governor, or Ryan, the district governor. And if you don't know where you're going, they won't know either. I say you're a bit like a bus driver. He has a bus, but there's no destination on the front of it. I said, you need to have a vision, a destination, a goal, and you must be clear about it. Now I said, and I'm thinking aloud because I hadn't thought about this any sooner. I said, you need people on your bus to get the job done. And, and I said, they fall into three categories. He said, the first lot would say, oh, yeah, I'd love to go there, Greg. Oh, I'm always going to go there. Can't wait. The next lot would say, Ryan, um, I don't know. I was there before. I wasn't too impressed. No. When I said, you've got to persuade them. And then I said, the third lot say, oh, no, I don't want to go there. No, no, I wouldn't like that stuff. Leave them behind because they're going to cause all kinds of trouble on the bus. Mm. <laughs> and then I said, your job is only beginning because unless you look after these people and support them and mind them and appreciate them, they'll start getting off the bus. I said, every time the bus stops at a traffic light, they get out. You're left driving the bus and there's nobody on it except yourself. And I said, usually in Toastmasters' life, they don't quit physically. What they do is they quit mentally. And you don't know that they have quit mentally and the district is suffering and going downhill and you have no idea what the reason is. I said, the reason is your leadership. I thought no more about it. And I got to Atlanta in 2003 where I became the president and people came up to me from this group. So I remember the story about the bus and that's why I wrote the book called The Leadership Bus. I see a pattern here, a bus, a car. You work for Irish yeah. Rail. That transport is uh, big, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. We can't have a conversation with you without asking about the sing-along, which I guess started about 30 years ago, and it's even managed to survive the growth of karaoke. How did you manage to get the quote-unquote unofficial sing-along into part of the official Toastmasters agenda? Oh, with great subtlety and dexterity and, and brown <laughs> envelopes with a whole lot of dollars. <laughs> I know it, ha it happened, uh, happened as a lot of things in my life happened accidentally. <laughs> in the sense, back in the day in 1992, the candidates who were running for office had suites, S-U-I-T-E-S, not S-W-E-E-T-S, right? <laughs> <laughs> They had suites, and the idea was you'd go and visit the suite and talk to the candidate and get some idea about who he or she was. Maybe have a soft drink or a bite to eat or whatever, and uh, and then go on to the next one. Now, there could be 12 or 15 of these things. And I know that Brian O'Connor and myself, Brian was the district governor, and a guy called Ed Breen from District 73 in Australia, originally from Northern Ireland. The three of us 
went off to suite number one and we did the business. Suite number two, we did the business. Suite number three. And then I, I got bored because <laughs> there was another 12 to go. <laughs> kind of I'm only, I don't know how many, but there was a lot anyway. Brian was a great singer. I said, we'll sing a song. So when we got to the suite, we had a few questions. Then we, I introduced Brian. Uh, Brian is a great singer. Ed doesn't know he's not a great singer. I do know that I'm not a great singer, so I didn't sing. So I introduced them. And so three of us did this, and we went on to number four and number five. By the time we got to number six or seven, the three of us were 13. <laughs> we finished up with maybe 20. <laughs> the gaggle was growing, and hangers-on were all joining in for the songs. So uh, we had three songs, and uh, that was it. And then, I don't know, some years later, that was 92, the sweets business was done away with. Now what were we going to do? Well... We found a little place in the hotel, an obscure part of the hotel, and we carried on the business. And it grew and grew and grew. It was unofficial, so it was never advertised. But the first question anybody who met me at the convention was, where's the singer? <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I'm going to tell you a, a great story about me in D.C. in 2016. And we were finding difficulty in finding a place. And a few of my colleagues were searching out nukes and crannies where we could start to secrete ourselves away from the prying eyes of the leadership of TI, right? <laughs> and uh, one of the guys came in and said, we met the assistant manager, and he's from Ireland. And we said, you were the president, and you were from Ireland, and he'd love to meet you. Well, I said, bring him over. So he arrived, a young man, and he's probably late 30s. I said, I hear you're from Ireland. Yeah, he says, I am. I said, what part of Ireland? County Kerry, he said. That's my county. Oh, I said, oh, where about in County Kerry? He says, Carseville, which is a small town where my father came from. I said, in the town or outside it? Oh, about five miles outside it in a place called Balance Skellings, he said. I said, did you know a man called Mike Cochran? He says, I did. He was my neighbor. I said, that was my uncle. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> So we got a room and we got everything we wanted for the week. <laughs> no, bother. <laughs> no bother whatsoever. <laughs> and then in 2017, I was up in Vancouver, District 21, I suppose it was at the time. And um, I got a call from the staff in TI. Would you like to make it official? I said, would I like to make it official? Of course I would. I, if you say, well, there's trouble of finding all these secret places. <laughs> <laughs> and so in 2017, it became an official event, and it has continued to this day as an official event, except, of course, that this year I couldn't go to it because my mobility had decreased so much that I just couldn't risk it. But they carried on without me, and um, they had a great time. So, yeah, that, that's a great story, 30-odd years, and people loved it. They came from all over the world and did their different cultural things songs and tunes and things. Now it was wonderful. Wonderful. You certainly have the luck of the Irish. <laughs> well, there's no doubt that meeting the man that could give me a room in DC in the Marriott, who knew my uncle. It was just one of those extraordinary events and coincidences, wasn't it? Wow, Absolutely. Sure was. Now Ted, you often act as the MC, but I heard from a little birdie that your go to song is Danny Boy? Yes. Yes. Give us a bar or two. <laughs> well, I told you that I can't see. 
And I certainly am not going to give you a living proof of it that will last for eternity. It's my signature song because it's a, the song about a father saying goodbye to his son who is emigrating. And he doesn't know whether he'll ever see him again. And if the son comes home, the father may be dead, buried. And that has special significance for me because my dad's brothers and sisters went to Connecticut and never came home. My grandfather's brothers and sisters went to Chicago and never came home. My grandmother's sisters went to the Midwest and never came home. And her nephew, John Gairn, emigrated to Australia. He was 17 and a half. He left Ireland on the 21st of December. He never saw his mother, his home, or his country again. But I owe him a lot because he sent home boxes of books a couple of times a year. And I read them before I ever went to school. So that was my source of information before I ever went to school. But it's, it was all about immigration. And this particular song is such a soulful song. And it means so much to me. And in fact, when you sing it, and I sing it at the, at the sing-alongs, the group of people who are there, there could be up to 100, will never be the same group again. There will be changes. Some of them will never be back at a convention again. So it's a, it's a goodbye to everyone, a last goodbye, the last farewell, as it were. So it's always extremely meaningful for me to do that, and that's why I end with it. It's a beautiful song. Ah, it's a very sad song. We'll try to keep the podcast on the upbeat sides. On that note, folks, if you've got a lot of value, if you really enjoyed this episode as much as we have, you can find the Toastmasters podcast at toastmasterspodcast.com, toastmasters.org, Google, Apple, Spotify, and pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. Ryan? Well, Ted, it's been many years and having you come back on the show again, you did not disappoint. This has been really interesting. Appreciate you sharing just your experiences, your thoughts, your wisdom with us. And for folks who might want to follow up with you, ask you a question or two, what's the best way for them to get in touch? By email, I suppose. It's coffin.ted at gmail.com. And people are welcome to contact me. Fantastic. Ted Corcoran, it's been an absolute pleasure, an absolute honor. And thank you for all you do. Yeah, that's a sharp and that's the wrong key. <laughs> I have a harmonica. I never said I could play it. <laughs> yes, you certainly can play it. I agree. <laughs> we'll we'll cut that out. <laughs> or not. That was great. Okay then, fellows. Okay. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. I enjoyed it very much. God bless you both. Stay safe. Isn't it about time you publish that book you've been thinking about? We can help with that. At ebookit.com, we've been providing authors and small presses with ebook publishing services since 2010. Visit us today at ebookit.com and let us know how we can help you.